you so much for the wonderful Word of God, and thank you that it teaches us of Jesus from cover to cover. Thank you for the treasure of the gospel. Lord, thank you that heaven's our home. Those of us who have been wonderfully redeemed, saved by your calling and keeping. And thank you for the great work of sanctification that you work in our life, Lord. Not content just to save us as lost sinners, but uh, you begin the process to prepare us, growing us in holiness, preparing us for heaven to be with you forever, and thank you for it. And we just ask, Lord, that uh, you would feed our faith now through the scriptures, make us a blessing, Lord, as we go out into our families, into our workplaces, the community, places where we shop and play, and all the rest, Lord, as luminaries for Jesus. We pray for that, that people would see through our behavior the love of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, the sanctifying work of the power of God, the Spirit of God who lives within us. We pray for that. Bless our children and our youth as they have their teaching time now and draw them to the Savior if they're not saved. And anyone that's in this room, Father, who's never put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, never stood clothed in the righteous robes of Jesus, may you open hearts that we might see us uh, as you do, apart from Christ, lost and headed toward an eternity in hell. Oh, Lord, thank you for the cross, for the love of God. Thank you for the beauty of the earth, the seasons. Thank you for the gift of time and life. Thank you for work and talents and opportunity. Thank you for meeting our every need. Thank you for scrubbing our hearts clean. We fall down and worship you now. Open the word and teach us now. May the Spirit of God accomplish your purpose in our midst. And we say, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I want to uh, deliver a message I've entitled, Jesus Stopped a Funeral. Uh, when I think about uh, the Gospel of Luke, there are some uh, passages that I just absolutely love. I love all of the Word of God, of course, but some of it is just, it just uh, moves me into glory almost when I study it, teach it. We visited this passage maybe four or five years ago. I was thinking about it all last week as we were looking at that wonderful Psalm 16, contentment both now and forever, particularly uh, Jonathan Edwards' uh, favorite life verse, verse 16 of Psalm 1611, Thou hast showed to me the path of life, and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and in his presence is fullness of joy both now and it will be in, without end in the days to come. And in thy right hand are pleasures evermore. I, I kept thinking about this passage, and I, just, I, I was compelled just to go back to it again, restudy it, and lay that forth for us uh, in this, that Jesus is the life, and he shows us the path of life, and even death does not stop it. Uh, Jesus, the day that Jesus stopped the funeral... Let me introduce it by just, uh, again, saying, is there anything more painful than the death of a child? Is there anything more? Bearing a son or daughter brings only agony, and it is the deepest anguish of the soul. Only parents who have suffered such a loss can tell of the absolute horror of it as they continue to lament and weep everything they've lost and everything that might have been. 
I can tell you that as a pastor, that's been some of my hardest, hardest assignments of the Lord is to sit with families that have lost loved ones. I have, I've sat with those that have lost stillborn babies, and, and uh, we've had little services. I've been with those that have lost babies uh, just a day or two or three old, and we've had little services, graveside services and committals, and I've been with those that... Uh, a uh, 16-year-old boy that was killed in his uh, Jetta and his three buddies with him uh, doing a stupid decision on a back road with some alcohol and rolled it and killed him, the eldest son of that family. In, my, in the cemetery of my mind, I go back and I can still remember the emotion sitting hour after hour with this dear dad and mom and uh, the anguish and the pain. Uh, it's, it's almost unbearable. Uh, all that is lost. You know, our ch children often are our hope for the future, and, and we see God working in and through them, and we go like, praise God for that. You know, the expression, if a man has a son and he, only ha he, only di and he dies, he only half dies because the son carries on. It's kind of like that, you killed my father, but I'm coming after you, the son. But in the strangeness of this fallen world, there are times, and thank God it isn't the normal course, but sometimes parents are called to bury their children, and the anguish of it and the heart of it is almost beyond. You should see the statistics for divorce with that in, a, in, a, in an intact family. Um, and it was a funeral director that first called my attention to that years ago. He said, check it out. Uh, I was uh, teaching at that point at the college. He said, it's in the 90 percentile of a, hu of a husband, a wife, a dad, mom, who lose a child in that the marriage doesn't make it uh, because of all kinds of reasons you can imagine. Guilt, shame, I should have done more, I wasn't there, you weren't there, and just the grief as it works its way out does strange things. Well, last week in Psalm 1611, I already mentioned, we discover that Jesus gives us life. There, David writes, you make known to me the path of life. He defeated death in his own death and was victorious over the grave. He is life. We most have memorized John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. How about that John 10, 10? Jesus said, I give unto them life, more abundant life. And they have the abundant life that's found in Jesus. Well, as we mourn our losses and the losses of people we love. We may wonder at such times and after, what comfort, what hope does God have for us? What, what is it, Lord, that you have? Well, Dr. Luke answers this question by telling us what Jesus did for a mother who lost her only child, her only son. We discover in a moment that our God is a God of great compassion. And it's truly amazing. He's just not some sort of capricious, almighty other up there. But he's, he's all that in all his glory, in all his goodness. But he's transcended that. And he has come down into our world in the person of Jesus. And to look at Jesus is to see the, 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 the wonder and the glory of, of, of God himself. That our God is a God of compassion. You have to love 2 Corinthians 1. That our God comforts us 
with his comfort when we need it so that we might be able to comfort and help others. Well, in this glorious passage that Faithy read, Luke 7, 11 through 17, um, uh, we'll, we'll make three observations of Jesus' power over death. And in it, it provides us with incredible, wonderful hope and glorious comfort for our soul. Glorious. For I say to you, if Jesus, if Jesus had not showed up, this would have been simply another forgotten tragedy. But here's the good news. He did show up. And it changed everything. Changed everything. It changed it forever. The day that Jesus stopped the funeral. Well, three observations. Very simply, as the text, the narrative unfolds, we have the setting in verses 11 and 12. And then the miracle itself in verses 13, 14, and 15. And finally, 16 and 17 is the reaction of the crowd. There were throngs, a crowd around, not only the funeral procession, but the throngs of crowds of people that were following Jesus as he had left Capernaum to make his way to Maine. Jesus showed up. Well, the setting. Verses 11 and 12. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain. That's Jesus, his disciples, and a mega, a great crowd, went with him. You imagine that. Now, they didn't jump on a scooter, jump in the car, their car. It was about 20 to 25 miles away. Did you ever walk that far? They're walking. Incidentally, uh, have you noticed they took our door off? <laughs> so you get sort of like a Sunday school lesson and a sermon at the same time. If you're good, if you're like me, they cancel each other out and you don't know what's happening. So like, I don't, someone said, that's another reason why we, well, I don't know what happened to that door. I'm going to call the township because I appreciate the, the lesson back there. But uh, in any event, the setting, 25 to 20 to 25 miles away, Jesus left Capernaum. He's with a crowd, and he's walking. Have you ever walked 20 miles? Remember, they, we go like 20 miles. Oh, that's not, I'll be there in 20 minutes. <laughs> Mark, he runs these marathons, and some of the, <laughs> not me, but uh, that's a long, have anybody ever walked 25 miles in their life? Some of you are great walkers, but some of us aren't. But uh, he walked, and I just remind you, walking, and the crowd's with him. And as he approaches the city gate of Nain, Jesus meets a funeral procession. A young man had died and was being carried on a bier to the cemetery. Bier, B-I-E-R, not two E's. Okay, and that's a stretcher that uh, they would carry. It had four handles. It was commonly used. And uh, they would carry, and on that uh, was wrapped in cloth was, uh, was the dead person. Okay, and they would make their way out of the village and there was a section probably near in the rocks, typically. They'd hew it out. It was a family cemetery or, or whatnot. And they would, that's, uh, and here comes the Lord. Can you see the setting? He's walking in, and uh, here it comes out. Have you, ever, uh, have you ever been in a hurry to go somewhere, and you found out you met a funeral procession? Oh, great day. I, I hope this guy's not famous. All the cars just keep going by. I'm already three, four, ten minutes late now. I wonder if I can, don't do it. They got their headlights on or whatever. Well, that's what it is. They're coming out, and Jesus is coming over. It's an amazing encounter, and uh, it was something that happened all the time for, uh, for the wages of sin is death. And probably his mother, number two, a widow, we know from the text, 
She led the group as they made their way. I say that because it was customary for the grieving immediate family to lead the procession, followed by the bier and, the, and, and, and friends carrying the, uh, the uh, corpse. And then behind them, there were professional grievers. Imagine that. They'd be lamenting out, bearing the, the woe and the loss and the hurt of the grieving family. And behind them, the townspeople. Uh, most of the towns were not huge in that day. Nain wasn't huge. And so everyone knew everybody. There's sometimes people don't like living in a small town because everybody knows my business. But they all probably knew him. They watched him grow up. He was with her. So the whole town is there coming out. You can imagine, you got the scene. And here comes Jesus. And they bump into each other. And uh, this widow, she's grieving again. For she had been down this road before down the road of tears as she is a widow and she once went down it as she buried her own husband uh, in the road of tears. Now I say to you, her grief must have seemed too great for her to bear. She had lost her only son, her only child. And in that day as she aged, uh, he would have been her protector and provider. And now she was alone, really, vulnerable, hanging out there. And even though the townspeople formed a procession and came and loved to support her, she was in a very real sense alone in the world. She was extremely vulnerable. Uh, we didn't, they didn't have certain social uh, governmental programs, you know, no Social Security, no Medicare, no any of these things, you know. And so families depended on families, and she would depend on her son to take care of her and provide. I feel that burden with my own mother. She lives in Buffalo, and she's aged now and, uh, and sickly. You know, she almost died last year from a heart attack, and um, she is increasingly getting feeble. I keep saying, you're getting shorter and shorter, Mom. You know, I don't know where it's going to end. You know, so I'm going to be glorified. <laughs> but, uh, and I feel the burden that, that God had Faithy and I uh, not do the family business, but uh, head to school and, and be in ministry all these years. I feel the burden of her care. And I, I thank the Lord so very, very often that though I feel I have to deal a little bit with guilt that I'm not there and not able to be there, that my, I thank the Lord that I have two brothers that are there and my two, out of th uh, two sisters, one in the right in city, one not too far away, and the others in Maryland, but they can look after her, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, from painting to caring to the heat went out to all these things, you know. She's out there taking the lights off, the evergreens after Christmas. Can you imagine that? And I go, and the doctor, what are you, what are you doing? You know, uh, don't you have, oh yeah, my kids are busy. You know, she's going to end up. Anyway, I feel that, and I feel that as now the remaining eldest son even more so. But my brothers are so great, my brother-in-law, to care for her. Well, she, this woman had no one to care for her, nobody. And her grief must have been so great. I remind you, we too have gone out to bury our dead, haven't we? Haven't we? You can't live very long in this world before the reality of the wages of sin is death. And it's the, the sting of death touches us, and you follow along in that procession. Maybe you're in the limo right behind it. 
uh, or maybe you're back further and it was Uncle Bill or Grandpa, you don't live very long before you're in the same procession driving behind a hearse. This is the common sorrow of all of us, all because of sin. I remind you of Paul's words in Romans 5.12. Sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. So death spread to all men and all women because all sin. Romans 5.12. Well, here she is all alone in a very real sense. Even though the townspeople were around her, at the end of the day, they're going to go back to their homes, right? Yeah, and the same thing is true with you. I mean, unless you bury me first, right, and the Lord tarries in coming, I know what you're going to be doing. You'll have a service, and you're like, ah, oh, you know, that's great. You know, sorry he's gone, but he's in heaven. Isn't that good for him? We'll help faith. And then what will you do? There'll probably be a little room. We'll be at the new building if I make it that long. And then you're going to be eating potato salad, ham sandwiches, and uh, that kind of thing, and giving hugs to faith. And then you all go home. Well, we've got to get on with the work of day work. That's the reality. You're going to be eating potato salad. Yeah, right. Yeah, what was his name anyway? You know, <laughs> not, it's not quite that bad, I, I hope. I hope. That's the setting. In, which, in a real sense, she's alone. Well, in verses 13, 14, and 15, we see a second observation. And here we see Jesus' biceps flexing, and uh, he is victorious over death. And man, does this scream to us hope. I hope you remember this passage the next time you're in a procession or you're in, in the uh, valley of the shadow of death. The miracle, Jesus' compassion causes him to restore her son. In verse 13, and when the Lord saw her, I love that, that, that Dr. Luke included that. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. There was a groaning in this part. In the ancient world, the Greeks, uh, you know, we say we love you with all our hearts, but well, there's a groaning here. And if you've ever deeply grieved, and all of us have at some point, it, there's almost an ache and a hurt right here. You hurt. And that's the word that's used. The Lord comes in by, we would say, happenstance. We'll talk about that in a moment. But... Um, and he instantly sees this, sees her grief, and he's moved with deep compassion. And see in this the incarnate God of glory. You say, does he really care when I grieve? Does he really care when I'm, I'm filled with tears and at a loss? And I say, shouting through the pages of Scripture, yes, he cares. Look at God in Jesus here. He has compassion for her. Our amazing God is, cares. His compassion is great. When Jesus saw this brokenhearted mother, A, the first thing he does is speak to her. Jesus takes the initiative here. I love this. There's a whole, whole theology here. This is how it always is. If you don't always get it right, it's not man seeking God. We're hiding among the trees doing our own thing. Don't mess up my life. God, God seeks us out. You see it in the very beginning. You see it in God sending his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He seeks and he pursues. He's the hound dog of heaven, one man writes. And he pursues us. If you know Christ as your Savior, he has pursued you and sought you and found you and brought you to the end of yourself. And you recognize you're a sinful, lost person on a path toward hell. But God has regenerated you and saved you. And here it is. Jesus takes the initiative. God always does. 
No one asked him to do anything. She doesn't have faith. She's not like exercising any faith here. And it's a picture of us really in our lost state. And God initiates and we come under the hearing of the gospel. Maybe it's a mother. Maybe it's a friend, a, a, a dorm mate. Maybe it's a professor. And we come under the hearing of the gospel. And God begins to work in our heart and draw us to himself. Here it is. God is moving towards her. There's a world of theology there. It's always that way. It's always that way. He has compassion for her. His heart went out to her. His heart groaned for her. And Luke, as an aside, he often shows us Jesus caring for women in need. That's one of the distinctive marks of uh, Dr. Luke's gospel is that in many places, uh, Luke is talking about the Lord's relationship with women. Now, in that day... Women were, you know, uh, down, down in the social calendar, the way it was looked. It was, if you were a man, it was everything. The number of times we've been to the Middle East, we go like, you know, in this Arab world, it's a man's world. And the women are, are really, it's the gospel of Christ that elevates and puts on a pedestal the role of the woman, you see. And we see it in Jesus. He's, he has a concern and affinity for a woman, for a widow, for his mother from the cross, for Mary at, uh, at, uh, at Lazarus' death. He, Luke takes note of uh, Jesus' reaction and involvement in care and compassion for women. I think it's beautiful, and it shows us what God thinks of the role of women. He made it. It's his design. Well, God is called, in fact, you might want to remember Psalm 68.5, the protector of widows. Many people avoid those who are grieving. Have you ever noticed that? It's hard. It's awkward. It's, uh, it's not pleasant, you know. And yet someone mentioned, uh, one of the guys at Wednesday night, uh, our men's fraternity, there's more wisdom in the house of mourning than there is in the house of a party. That's Ecclesiastes. I mean, we all love a party, especially if it's a Super Bowl and the Buffalo Bills are in it. What a great thing that is. Give me another slice of pizza, Right. Yes, they're going to win finally this one. Well, that hasn't happened yet. But we all like that, right? We understand that. And Jesus at a wedding festival, and he understands that. But there's not a lot of wisdom gained of ultimate realities and the great questions of life. But there is in the house of sorrow. Because we're looking death right in the face and the sting of death and the result of that and the loss. And we go like, whoa, what's my standing before God? How does this work? And that's right, there's kind of going to come a day when I set my tools down and I'll never pick them up again, ever, ever. And all the stuff I have, like the ants that carry away the picnic uh, crumbs, they'll come in and they'll carry my stuff away and it'll go in a hundred directions. And Ecclesiastes say, and in a few generations, people won't even know you lived. That's the kind of stuff we were studying Wednesday night at Men's Fraternity. And so how do we live in light of that? Well, uh, many people avoid grieving because it is the ultimate reality and it is a march towards death that each one of us are on, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. He carries our sorrows. Isaiah 53. And we should be like him. You know that? That's one of the great ways the church through the centuries has cared for the, uh, the, the downtrodden, the broken, the lost, the widow, the orphan, the sick, Rescue the perishing and caring for the dying. It's one of the great apologetics of the, of the reality of the gospel. It's so different from all the other isms and false religions and ways of thinking. It's that God's people care and they shelter. And so Christians, as Christians, we need to note grieving parents 
and move clothes, or lonely widows and pay them a call or a visit and care and keep up with them, or the chronically ill. You know, we're all pretty good on the acute things, right? You know, are you getting better? Oh, it takes about a week. Oh, I hope so, because I can't endure very long if it's going a long time and then you die. We, we need that Lord give us grace and strength to be there for others or any kind of suffering. People tend to avoid folks like that because they'll say, I'm not sure what to say. Well, I got news for you. There are no magic words. It's not like, here, say these words like a, spit it out like a prescription and oh, I feel better already. No, just go and be a ministry of presence and God will, will allow the love of Christ to flow through you to give him a hug just to be there and to listen to him. Well, a lot of people go, I don't know what to say. Some will say, well, I got my own problems. And, you know, we all have problems, right? We all do, great and small. It depends on the season of life and whatever. But God wants us to be salt and light and love for him to love other people. Or sometimes folks will say, I'm embarrassed by the uncontrollable emotions. I mean, if, when you sit around a room and there's grieving and, and they go between non-crying and then weeping from the depths, it's, it's uncomfortable, it is. But we've got to step close. Lord, may the grace of God, may I be like Jesus and caring for people. Here's the Lord. He doesn't go like, oh, here they come, let's go right, you know. He goes walking right over to the funeral procession. I think, I think it's incredible. That's what the Lord wants us to be, is little Christ. Those, the hands and the feet and the love of God, the people in a broken, lost, hurting world, we should be like him. It means entering into people's situation with sympathy. Show them the love of God. Lord, let me love them through me, even me, imperfect, sinful, being sanctified. May, may I lift them up and support them. Give me strength. And you can do it. You'd be surprised how many hearts and lives your life will touch. Because they'll sense there's a genuineness, a difference there that people need and they thirst and they long and they can see it. And then when they see the genuineness of it, it draws them. And they may say, well, what is this hope of? Of why are you? Thank you for asking this because the Lord saved me, a sinner lost, and he works in my life and I want to be his missionary, his blessing and ambassador. I want to be his comfort for you. And so Jesus, uh, it goes on here, and, and look at number three. This, Jesus orders her to stop weeping. Now, God made tears. Tears are a wonderful thing. They are. They're, incidentally, you won't need them in heaven. Isn't that great? Isn't that, when it gives a catalog of what's not in heaven, uh, uh, there's no, no tears. Now, that's interesting how God made tears and, uh, and how it's, uh, when the emotions reach a certain point, um, you know, it, it demonstrates clearly that we're more than material. Our world likes to, uh, to kind of brainwash themselves. Say, we're simply nothing more than chemical reaction. That's it. When you die, it's over. No, we're, we're material and immaterial. And when the immaterial has a broken heart, and they're actually finding that there's medical, uh, the heart palpitations, when a heart is grieving and broken, and you can die from a broken heart. There's been some things written even recently about that. Um, that when you're filled with grief and the, and the body, the material, just, just like a safety valve releases and shed the tears. You know how it is that when you've been overwhelmed with grief and loss, whatever kind it's been, then there's the tears and you're like, I, I, had, a, I had a cry and I felt better. I may cry again. I, I remember in some of the deep mourning and loss that we've suffered as a family, you know, you cry, you don't mean to. 
what do you cry? I was in my, my doctoral studies in Philadelphia, and uh, my father had just died. And I sat in class for five and a half five weeks between learning my uh, theology and my studies and the tears. And Dr. Fuller was such a helpful to me, the president of the school, and uh, uh, I just, I couldn't control it. But, but I noticed bit by bit by bit, it was fewer and far between. And then after several months, it was only occasional. It didn't mean I didn't miss what God was healing my grieving, broken heart. And the tears were such a help to that way. And, and you know what that is. And yet Jesus tells it in, in verse 13b, do not weep. Stop crying. Now, I want to just make a point in this. Because for all but Jesus, this would have been an absolutely heartless thing to say. Right? I mean, I've said that to my kids sometimes uh, before I discipline them, and, and they got that down pretty good before I, off the record, may have paddled them. A couple of them started crying before the pain. <laughs> Stop crying. I haven't even administered justice here yet, you know, compassionately. Or sometimes uh, uh, my daughter would cry. She wasn't given to tears a lot, but sometimes she would cry. Stop crying. You know, but you don't, you don't, in a whole different setting, now at a funeral procession to say, stop crying. I say, but all oh, but Jesus, it's like, that was the Arctic blast. Who would say something like that? How heartless and cruel. But all, for everyone but Jesus. Wow. But, B, Jesus dramatically confronts death. That's what's going on here. It was the ultimate collision between life and death. You think it was an accident that Jesus just bumped into them? You know in a world that God is sovereign and has written a story from beginning to end, there's no accidents? It's not an accident that you're here. I believe God directs all that. You know, in and through our own hearts and choices over and above that, God's sovereign purpose and, and the narrative of humanity, the end is written before the beginning and the ways and... and uh, you think the Lord says, well, that was a fortunate that, boy, we are lucky to bump in. That lady was lucky that Jesus bumped into them. No, I tell you, I, that was an appointment from glory from before the foundations of the earth. And the Lord is leading this pack of people down. They're going down the Nain. I don't know if they think they're going to eat at McDonald's or something. I don't, maybe they have great fish fry down there. Who knows what the crowd's thinking. Jesus is on a mission. And one of the things he's going to accomplish before he gets into the villages right on time. And it reminds me repeatedly that God's timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. This was no chance meeting. It was an appointing appointment from before the foundation of the earth. And Jesus was going to dramatically confront death. He's, already, he's going to teach them that he is the resurrection and the life. And I say to you, it's the ultimate collision between life and death. Have you ever been in a car collision? They're not really a lot of fun, are they? I can, it's funny how you can remember. I can remember the one faithy when we were dating in the back seat and we weren't driving or not. And I remember leaving church in 1990 and the guy crossed, made an illegal uh, cross in front of Applebee's and, I was, and he hit me right in the door. And then I can remember coming back from prayer meeting one night, sitting down on, on uh, uh, the back way, uh, going to our place, sitting there waiting to make a left, and a guy hit me from behind. Took off, didn't hit me too hard, but he took off stuff on the side of my car, 
and maybe there's one more. It's a very terrible feeling to be in a collision, you know? Mike, you were in a very bad one, and it hurt, it hurt you guys, and, and some of you have been. I say this was the ultimate collision because life is going to collide with death here, and it's so fraught with, with, with hope and with comfort for us when we're in the sh walking in the shadow of death. You see, uh, Riken calls it an unstoppable, uh, an unstoppable was meeting a seemingly immovable object. And when the funeral met Jesus, death stopped in its tracks. I love this. I can see it. I can smell it. I can taste it. Death stops right in its track. The procession stopped. Everyone else had to follow the procession, all the crowd behind. But Jesus had the power to bring it to a halt. And he puts out his hand to say, Death, you'll come this far and no farther. And that's why he could say to the woman, stop crying. He was going to do something that only he could do in raising the dead. It was this same Jesus who had spoken and creation came into being. And the text tells us, uh, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and he said, do not weep. And then he came up and he touches the beer. Isn't it interesting that Dr. Luke notes that he's actually touching this object? that some would have thought would have made him ceremonially unclean. And the bearers stood still, probably for him. Death has stopped now, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, giving evidence that he was alive and well, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Young man, I say unto you, arise. Jesus is speaking to a corpse. You know, some like to downgrade the miraculousness of the text and of Jesus' life, and, oh, he just appeared to be dead. You know, or, um, you know, something uh, shook here and he woke up. And then you have all other kinds of problems of the timing of it, you know. It's just complicated. Just God said it, and that settles it. You know, it doesn't, matter. It doesn't even matter if you believe it. It's still true. <laughs> Yeah. Young man, I say to you, arise. That's a great song, John, that you picked that we could sing the, even this morning, reminding us of this. Arise. And note the ease uh, that Jesus uh, had in raising him. He didn't say, well, let's, let me do one of these voodoo dances. Let me throw some holy water or something on it. No, when the Creator God, the theanthropic person, he goes and touches the beer, and he speaks to the corpse. Guess what? God Almighty speaks, and it happens. There's no delay. You notice it wasn't like five days later he started to cough? You know, interesting how, you know, I know you know that, but they might have got the idea, maybe the boy recovered. And it was very common this the day because they didn't embalm in Palestine. So when somebody died... And unless it was certain that they were buried within that 24 hours. So if he died in the morning, they were taking him out around supper time after preparing the body. They didn't embalm it, so they buried And in, in Indiana, I'm not sure in Pennsylvania, but in Indiana, they still practice that. I imagine they do with the Mennonites and the Amish because they do not embalm. And, uh, but the state law in Indiana, I'm probably true in Pennsylvania, if you don't embalm, then you have to have buried within 
24 hours because of the putrefaction of, of, the, of the body. It begins to deteriorate. And that's the case here. He's going out and life speaks to death this far and no further. God sets all the boundaries. I read it this morning. The boundaries of summer and winter and the boundaries of distance. 93 million miles away from the earth is the sun. And, uh, aren't we fortunate? It's just right. We'd be too cold or too hot in the solar system and gravity and oxygen and the whole thing of life. Uh, and, and so God sets all the boundaries, the length of our life, three score and ten, and maybe by strength, four score and, and then some. You know, maybe or maybe not. No guarantees. God sets all the boundaries. He is the life. He is the glorious one. And he's going to raise this young man from the dead. And the ease of which he does it, the, man, the boy immediately sat up. Jesus had summoned his soul from the realm of the dead. This was the same Jesus who had spoken and creation came into being. The boy not only moved, but he spoke. Notice the doctor, the uh, physician, Dr. Luke, uh, makes note of that. It would be something that he would notice as a doctor uh, insofar as um, the response to the great physician calling him back to, to life. Uh, the boy speaks. This allowed all to see that he was really alive. Well, this miracle points us to the death of death and the resurrection of Christ. That you and I will rise from our graves if we die before he returns because he arose from his he is our living hope. He is our comfort. When we bury our loved ones in the dust of the earth, it is He that is our resurrection in life. It is He who collides with death and conquered it and is victorious over it. Because of Jesus, we too will rise from the dead. And don't you love the text? And Jesus gave back uh, him to the arms of his mother. It is such a beautiful thing. Jesus gave him to his mother, uh, and, and what a glorious reunion, huh? What a glorious reunion. Do you, do, you do you have family reunions? Do you? Sometimes they're a little strange, aren't they? You, know, you, get, you always get the Uncle Harrys and uh, Uncle Dicks and, and these guys going. And some of them filled with stories and some are shy and some uh, don't make it year after year. How many of you have family? Some of you do. I know, I know you do. You, yeah. You come in, you, oh, how much bigger you've gotten in the last, <laughs> much, or, or how much, uh, you know, and the kids have grown, and the grandkids, and the great-grandkids, and all that kind of thing. And, but there's something sweet about it, because we all want to know, what's our roots? You know, it's a good thing we probably don't know a lot of our roots, because we'd be embarrassed by a lot of it. You know, like, yeah, three out of four were incarcerated or something, you know. We don't talk about that side of the family, so to speak, but... Uh, there's something special about that, especially as now when I think about brothers and sisters of Christ, my own family, and those who have died in Christ, something very wonderful, even as the time goes on, if the Lord should let us live, that more and more of our loved ones are on the other side waiting for us. And you think of the sweetness of the ultimate family reunion, where all because of Jesus, he will give us back as Jesus gave this son back to the grieving widow and stopped death in its track. It is a picture of a glorious coming reunion that will be more grand than you can ever imagine. And it's just so fraught with hope and joy and comfort. You can see why I thought of this all last week when I was studying Psalm 16 particularly verse, verse 11. 
Jesus is the resurrection and the life. You see, the gospel is not just the cross. It's also the resurrection. He is victor over death. Notice the reaction in closing, verses 16 and 17. The reaction, all the crowd. Now, were there hundreds? Were there a thousand? We don't know. But all praise God for God had visited. They saw it. Their unrehearsed response is what ours should be as we to experience Jesus' work in our life. Look at verse 16. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people with favor. And this report about Jesus spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding area. Their, their, their reaction, the reaction first was they worshiped God. They glorified him with awe and wonder, and they gave praise to him. Uh, the, you can imagine they saw the, the action of God in their midst uh, colliding with death and being victorious. Imagine every day after that to see the son walking down to um, Home Depot to get uh, a hammer for the next project. Or he swung through Burger King to get a Whopper. You know, like, oh, yeah, the, oh, wow, yes, God, wow, he's, uh, wow, remember that day? And they... And it caused them to give praise to God. And I, I'm, I'm, we ought to give the same kind of praise for God's workings in our life, for, our, for making us, for saving us, for giving us gifts and abilities and opportunities, for carrying us this many years, and for our family and friends, for our church, for our country. We, we ought to be praising God for answer to prayer all day, every day. It ought to be right below our lips that I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Lord, you're so kind and so gracious. I, I just want to effervesce with, with Eucharist and thanksgiving unto you. They all worship. But second, they, they, they all witnessed. In verse 17, this was just too great to keep for themselves. That's the gospel. It's just too great to keep for, to themselves that everywhere they went, they, they shared it. They shared that. Hey, did you hear that story about that day at the, down at Nain? You should have been there. It was incredible. Jesus showed up and it changed everything. I want to tell you, it changed everything in my life when Jesus showed up. I wouldn't be here today if he hadn't showed up in the heart and life of a young boy whose mother had prayed for him when he was born. And uh, God showed up in my life and opened my heart and saved me and I don't remember, but my mother tells, tells me I was down at the plaza one day. I was about yay high, and I looked up to her, and I said, You know, Mom, God wants me to be a pastor. I go, I, I really said, she said, You said it with such conviction. I never doubted it. <laughs> I go, Wow, that's amazing. And, uh, and as time unfolded, God continued to work with a sinful boy, growing me in grace, and he's still growing me in grace. Uh, as, uh, as perhaps nobody knows as well as Faithy here, right? <laughs> He's growing me in grace and you in grace if he knows you that Jesus showed up. Wow. They shared it with all. Praise God from, from whom all blessings flow. Wow. You know, you ought to do that. I learned that with Faithy's mom and dad, godly couple now in heaven. But uh, whenever God, they, they prayed, they believed in prayer and prayed a lot. Whenever something come up, they prayed. And... Um, my dad wasn't saved then, so I never saw anything like that personally. We've practiced that through the years now. But it was your mom and dad that really, they, uh, they would pray. No, we need to pray. Stop right now. Stop right now. Let's pray. And, and they didn't pray for an hour, okay? 
Well, unless it needed, but most of the time it was, you know, a three-minute prayer. Lord, now we're praying for Bill. He, we just met him, and he's needs and this or whatever it is for school, medical, anything. And then when God answered, I mean, pray with expectation. Then they would say, then I would hear them. I, in my mind, I could hear your mom and dad saying, praise God from whom all blessings. They would actually, in the car or in the home, they'd be singing, praise God from whom all blessings. In response to God's answer to prayer that they had just prayed. That is simply practical Christianity 101. That's what they're doing. They're glorifying God. They're worshiping Him. And they're like, wow, wow, wow. That's right. Wow. Well, lesson, so what? What difference does, does all this make in your life and mine? Let me suggest a few. Number one, be encouraged. Be encouraged from the depths of your heart. Jesus knows everything that you're going through. I mean, there's, you, you think there's something in your life? He doesn't, hey, Lord, let me, I, I love the way some people pray that way, like they're filling him in. Lord, you may not know this, but, uh, and we give the details. And it's okay to give the details because he knows it. And often it unburdens our own hearts to pray that way. It's okay. Don't hear me say that. But sometimes I'll, I'll hear her, I'll, and they're like, oh, thank you for that information. I didn't know that. No, the Lord knows all that. And, 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 and unburden your heart any way you want to that way. But know that he knows everything you're going through. And he couldn't care for you anymore. His compassion for you is beyond measure. Even when your heart is broken, let him comfort you with the comfort that he gives. Give your tears, and he'll uh, give him all your tears. You know, the Psalm, uh, one of the 50 Psalms in the 5th says, he keeps our tears in a bottle, it's in, a, in, a, in a metaphorical way. He, he knows every one of our tears. Isn't it beautiful? He knows. Oh, he knows. Last week when that news broke, and Susan and Jim, they're not here today, but uh, uh, it, it hit him so hard because uh, Jim, Pasquale, Jim thought he had uh, gallbladder kidney stones. That's what he told the men when we met that Sunday. So I got to go get it checked out. And when they checked it out, they said, hey, all these lesions, it doesn't look good and all this kind of thing. And I was uh, uh, talking with both of them later in the week, and, and Susan, she said to me, you know, Pastor, we just choose to believe what the Bible says that nothing comes into our lives that has not already passed through the loving hands of our loving Heavenly Father. And I said, that's it. That's right. That's it exactly. And that's number one here. Be encouraged to know that. Be encouraged. Number two, Jesus is life. And apart from him, there is no life. He created everything. He holds it all together. Colossians 1. He defeated death through his own death. And I say this, you never need to fear this last enemy. It's a defeated enemy. And Jesus defeated death through the tunnel of an empty tomb. Oh, isn't that encouraging? Mm. Mm. He is the resurrection and the life. Number three, look forward to the greatest family reunion ever. Look forward to it. I wish I knew the date. I'd give you the date. Plan to be there. Trust Christ, be saved, bring everyone with you. Go out to the highways and byways and invite folks to come into the banquet. Schedule, it's scheduled to take my, my, my impression very soon. And you say, Lord, how long till you come? Oh, it is that blessed day when Jesus will return for his bride, the church, and he'll bring those that have gone on before with him. Check out 1 Thessalonians 4. 
and we'll join in that great reunion in the sky. Oh, what a day that will be. Those who have died in faith, that died in Christ, those outside will not be there. It's for the family of Christ, the family of God. What a day. What a day when the loved ones will again be in our arms. We just say, oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We close it like John does his, his great writing in Revelation. Oh, come, Lord, haste, I can't wait. Wow, oh, Lord. And number four, today Jesus invites you to receive him as your Lord and Savior. I just wonder, will you come? If Most of you will no doubt know Christ, are resting in his finished work as your own. And, but maybe just one of you have never trusted the Savior. And uh, you need to hear the gospel over and over and over. It's the gospel wherein we stand. It's the gospel we need to know to be able to share with others that they need to confess sin that you do if you never have. You repent. That means simply turn from it and run to Him and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. He's waiting. Ask God to receive you through the merits of His Son in the finished work of the cross. What a, what a great text. The day that Jesus stopped the funeral. Don't you love it? There, uh, I wanted to sing this old song. I think we can do it. Does Jesus Care? It's an old, old hymn. Uh, it was written uh, by Frank Grave in uh, 1901. He went through some very difficult trials. Uh, before he wrote the song, he was given to despondency and pain and doubt. And then he turned to that wonderful verse in 1 Peter 5, 7, right? Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And after meditating on that, he wrote the lyrics uh, with a resounding affirmation in the chorus, Oh, yes, he cares. Do you know this? How many of you know this old song? Does Jesus care when my only faith and I, three of us, four, maybe, uh-oh. We might have a quartet here singing this. Let's stand and try it anyway. And when you come to the refrains, oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. All right, uh, we'll try and get it started. Those of you who know it, you help me because I'm going to need it. Let's sing it a cappella. Does Jesus care when my heart is pain too deeply mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. Oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long night dreary, I know my Savior cares. Well, you will have to work on that one. You probably won't be singing that like that through the week. And, uh, but he cares. Oh, the day that the Lord stopped the funeral. Wow. Oh, I love it. Father, dismiss us with your blessing. Fill us with such joy and hope in Jesus. Make us a blessing this week to someone. Lay upon our heart the gospel that we might share that in life and voice and be the hands and the feet and the mouth and the mind of Jesus to all that we should meet. To help both carry their sorrows, to care for the sick and rescue the perishing, Lord. We pray for that. Bless us. Make us a blessing until we meet again. And we'll thank you so much for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And God's people said...
All right. God bless. Have a great week.